Hey folks, so I decided that since today Kime Gingold has just released the Mac port of his award-winning educational app Birth Primer to, to dig out the segment from episode one that goes into how he made the app, why he made the app, what he did before it with Spore, and what he's been doing since with his studies. Please enjoy with the voiceover fixed up after that very, very, very rough first episode two years ago. Or if you want to listen to the entirety of episode one with the Santeri Coivisto interview on Minecraft also included, uh, go back and re-download that. I've also uploaded the fixed voice over there. Anyway, see you. Enjoy. Kaim Gingold was halfway through his master's degree in digital media design at Georgia Tech in 2002, when an opportunity he couldn't believe dropped into his inbox. Uh, we had a, it was a two-year program. We had a required internship and between the two years to get professional experience. And I hadn't, you know, I think when I was younger, I wanted to go into games, but I kind of, you know, when I was young, when I was, you know, like a kid, I think that by the time I was in college and graduate school, that idea didn't appeal to me because most games really aren't that interesting to me then and probably still now. Um, I tend to be pretty selective in terms of what I well, you know, willing to spend my time playing. And I thought, you know, most of it just seemed like junk. And so I wasn't really interested in working at a game company. And then one day I got this email from my advisor, Janet Murray, and said, you know, there's a, she, she happened to get an email from Max's recruiter afforded to her. Let's stop there for a moment. Maxis, in case you don't know, is the company that made the SimCity games, and also SimAnt, SimEarth, SimLife, Spore, and perhaps most famously, The Sims. Will Wright was the company's co-founder and top game designer until he left in 2009. And she said, are you interested in working with Will Wright? I said, well, yeah, of course. And so she wrote this, I remember sitting in the lab that you know, I replied yes, and then something like 30 minutes later, I had a response back from uh, this Maxis recruiter. You know, was kind of like, okay, let's just set it up, you know. And, uh, and I guess in that time, Janet had written this just glowing yeah, you, know, you know, one paragraph, you know, recommendation, and that was enough to, you know, to get the job done. And, um, and then, I, then, I, then once I had it, and she will never let, never let me forget this, once I had it, I was really reluctant to go, because I wasn't sure what it, it just seemed too good to be true, and I thought, well, I'll just be, like, set, I'll just be put as part of some large team, and I won't have any contact with Will, and I'll be made to work on something really lame. And uh, so she still hung out, I had to twist my arm to get me to go, and I, I'm really glad that I went, because it really was the best case possible. You know, internship, like I had a, a little, not a, not quite a desk, but a table set right outside of Will's office in the hallway and right next to his elder shrine. And, uh, you know, I had a lot of contact with him in part because they were working on The Sims Online at the time. And that's what everyone was in a frenzy on. And I was basically, I was really the only guy working on what what became Spore. Kaim was assigned to work on what later became Spore. At the time, it was called Sim Everything, 
uh, it was like an existential project at that point. So it wasn't clear who you were or what you were supposed to do or anything like that. It was just kind of the vastness of the universe, and um, which was very exciting. So we could just about simulate anything and it would be relevant. Over the course of the summer, he basically lived out my dream. Kingold spent his days theorizing with Will Wright and building prototype simulations in which you could play with creatures, cities, cells, and other stuff. When the summer ended, he went back to Georgia Tech and finished his masters. Then Maxis hired him full-time. His job was to make the Creature Creator, which was the editing tool that Spore players used to design their creature at various stages of its evolution, from primordial goo to a whole planet-hopping intelligence super-civilization. We knew that it was, usability-wise, it was our most challenging editor. We called them editors at the time. We were not creators. It was the most challenging editor. It would be the most challenging editor for the player because it was so three-dimensional and so intricate. And also we knew that it was the only editor that, we also knew that it was early on they would encounter. So it wasn't like we saved the most complex one for last and you would graduate or two. We knew that it would come right at the beginning of the game and it wasn't optional. Like I think later you can opt out of some of, some of the editing, but here it was like required and it was early and it was really hard. So we knew that we had, it was a really difficult design challenge. One of the things we had to balance was the ability of expert users to make really intricate things, you know, like the power users, like the animators we had on our team with the beginners who would be coming through and need to learn it. So the tool is very much designed in this kind of, um, like hypercard-like sense, where it kind of sort of playfully discloses more and more behaviors and abilities as you play with it. So one of my mantras was, you know, we shouldn't put any powerful feature in there that will trip up a beginner. You know, there's all those powerful features should be hidden, like on modifier keys, or you know, they should have to dig for that. So things are designed sort of be discoverable. So like the camera rotation, for example, you know, just click in the background and you start, you know, and something happens and the camera moves, right? Like it's just, you just kind of discover those things. You know, just attaching a part to the creature should be, you know, moving it on and off should be, that in itself should be a pleasurable act. So everything in it should be pleasurable. Kind of like when you play with Legos or any kind of, well-designed toy, there's a kind of just basic satisfaction, just snapping and snapping things, moving them around. Gingold left EA around the time Braid and World of Goo were sparking an indie revolution in game development. He started playing around with a game idea that was way too big. It had to do with castles and authoring tools, and there was multi-user component, and a people simulation thing, and there was a geology simulation component. He showed it to a group of other designers in the Bay Area. One guy said to me very helpfully, said, Chaim, I love what you're doing here, but I want you to, you really need to scope this because I want you to finish it while you're still young. <laughs> he decided to focus on the geology simulation bit. First, he tried to make a puzzle game, but it wasn't working out. A puzzle game has to have these discrete solutions and outcomes, and this simulation I had was really soft and squishy. Then you saw a work-in-progress version of the interactive app version of Al Gore's book, Our Choice, which had images and videos you could pick up and pop open. My favourite feature was that you could shrink down videos to the size of a postage stamp while you checked out the table of contents or some other chapter text. And it'd keep playing the whole time. 
And of course, being an Al Gore thing, it was also full of interactive maps and infographics about climate science. When I saw those things and I thought, aha, maybe what I'm making is not a puzzle game. Maybe I'm making is a book. Maybe I realized that a puzzle is just one particular kind of guided play structure. A puzzle gives you, a puzzle game gives you a kind of, it's like a framework for playing, right? You can play with blocks, but if I tell you, here's a thing you want to, here's an objective to solve and here's some pieces, here's some constraints and a goal, then all of a sudden I've given you a kind of guided, more rigidly guided play structure. And if I give you many of them in sequence, then I'm giving you a longer arc of authored play experience. And that's, we call those things games. But a book is another kind of guided guided experience. And I thought, well, if we have these interactives in it, then that's another way of creating this guided play. So I really focused in on, I was like, the thing that I want is guided play. I don't necessarily want a puzzle game. So once I had this guided play idea and this book idea and thinking it can entertain and inform, uh, then I kind of, that's when things sort of started really fitting together. And the cool thing about this book structure is that it lets you just embed all these different disconnected simulations together. And and they can still be part of a coherent experience, yet they can be separate from each other. So, and that's that, that guided play structure of the book gives you the overarching framework to put those things together. It took a few years to refine the vision and work through multiple prototypes, but the end result was Earth Primer, a science book for playful people. It's like an interactive version of an 8th or ninth grade geology textbook. Pages contain little chunks of explanatory text next to a little slice of Earth simulated with a bunch of tools. You can do things like change wind direction or sea level, remove or introduce mountain ranges, or trigger rain or lava flows or whatever. And the micro world reacts realistically. The whole thing is gated, so you don't have access to a tool until you've learned how that aspect of the geological or climate cycle works. You see, you read, then you do. And the previous concepts get reintroduced over time, so you can see how they all fit together. This is that guided play structures thing. You have free reign to play with a model however you like, but your toolset varies depending on what part of this tour of planet Earth you're up to, and your play is directed by some simple question or idea. Gingold hopes that you'll come away from the experience with a basic foundational understanding of Earth science. One interesting thing is that about the project to me, sort of the irony of it is that I, of course, learned much more about earth science than anyone will playing Earth Primer. Because <laughs> I just had to really get, understand it at a pretty deep level in order to build a model of it. Like much of like, you know, it was really, it was like my, like my play, my game, my play experience was making Earth Primer and learning and trying to see if I could build a, a model that, that captured what I was learning. He also told me that he was surprised that sometimes it's impossible to just build one model to capture how scientists think something works, because sometimes they don't know, or they can't agree, and no one explanation could be described as a consensus view. He'd love to see someone make a kind of Earth Primer 2 that goes deeper, sharing some of these competing models and letting you, the player, decide for yourself, which seems most likely to be correct. All it really comes down to, though, is that he wants ordinary people, kids and adults who don't have science degrees, to be inspired to learn. When a geologist, for example, sees mountains, they see something that's way more interesting than you or I can see. But a good teacher can help their students see that way, see kind of the innate beauty of American history or geology, whatever it is. And that's what I was hoping to do with Earth Primer is sort of 
capture and translate some of that magic so that you don't have to be a geologist, you can be just a kid or a mom or whoever and, and get a taste of it. Kime's currently in the closing stages of a PhD at UC Santa Cruz on design, play, and computation. But my overarching thesis or thing that I'm interested in is this idea of play design. And that's a phrase that I first used at GDC a handful of years ago in a talk on the human play machine, which was a sort of kind of out there design philosophy talk. And the reviews of it were very mixed, like ranged from very positive to, you know, like, why is this guy talking about all this rambling on about this stuff? And what I took as a good sign, because it meant that people kind of were passionate about what I was saying. So, and the, and the idea behind play design is to, is to think just as game design and game studies thinks, as, thinks about games as this category of things that can be a sport or a board game or a computer game and sees these, all these different elements as part of, part of a set with shared characteristics. My question is, what if we think about play design as something analogous? So where something like SimCity sort of falls off the edge of the chart of games because it's not quite a game. What if we recalibrate a chart that's made of play things and we look at toys and playgrounds and software toys as part of a set? What would those shared characteristics and design considerations be that make that set work? At the moment, Kime's working on the fifth chapter of his dissertation, a close analysis of the original SimCity source code. There's also cell automata and system dynamics, which kind of ties back to his work on Spore over a decade ago. And this thing called city building education, or design-based learning, which deals with a lot of the same things as SimCity from a totally different angle. And then one of the interesting things to me is that she wrote uh, some of the teacher's guides to SimCity and SimLife. And so there was this collaboration between Doreen and Maxis, and it's kind of a beautiful counterpoint to SimCity because SimCity is this digital-based creative play, and city building education, or DBL, is totally analog, completely social. All the enactment of rules is, completely imp- is more improvisational, it's flexible. You can sort of look under the hood of the simulation. It's more about social negotiation. And it's sort of a more profound kind of creativity that the participants engage in. And they're both about cities. And the cities are the sort of, the cities is very evocative anchor for both kinds of experiences. So they're like really similar, but really different. Since episode one originally aired, Kaim has completed his PhD. And he's now looking for a job and trying to figure out what he's going to do with his life next. And Earth Primer is now, as of today, available for Mac as well as iPad. So if you have either machine, iPad or Mac, go grab the app right away. It's the best way to learn basic Earth science. I'll have a direct link to both versions in the show notes, or you can just head to earthprimer.com and follow the links from there. Udophilia is produced entirely by me. I am aiming to make this a monthly show to begin with, but I'll ramp up production if there's enough money to justify taking the time out of my freelance schedule to do fortnightly episodes, or to throw in short pieces of less than eight minutes in between the main releases. You can support the show by clicking on the donate button on the website ludophilia.net, by contributing to my Patreon at patreon.com slash don't forget to leave a review on iTunes as well and share it with everyone you know. 
It's a new show, so I'm going to need all the help I can get to get the word out. If you have feedback, ideas, questions, suggestions, offers of money or sponsorship, or absolutely anything you'd like to say, tweet me at MossRC, or the show at Ludophilia, or you can send an email to richard at ludophilia.net. Until next time, I'll leave you with this little clip I couldn't find a place for. See ya. As with very much the idea of a kind of game map, like the sort of Super Mario 3 sort of world map, that was really the idea for those chapter pages, was to combine the Mario 3 world map with the science diagrams, like the, like the water cycle diagrams. It was like, here's different places you go to. And just like in Mario world, they kind of unfold as you go, right? So it's simultaneously a, 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 a map, like a progression map with different places in it. And it's a diagram. So when you finish, you've sort of unearthed this entire system diagram. Now you can say, oh, that's what I learned. I learned about the water cycle. There's my diagram, right? That's the, there's the map of what I've now learned.